0: The Undertaker was dead to begin with, there is no doubt whatsoever about that, resting in peace you might say, as dead as a doornail, this must be distinctly understood or nothing wonderful can come of this story we're about to relate. The Undertaker has officially retired after 30 years in the WWE, three years before that in WCW, USWA, WCWA and WCW. On this Christmas Eve we're looking back on the most unique career in pro wrestling history, and hopefully we don't disappoint Alex Dorio because unlike Talk and Taker we're gonna go through the whole thing in one episode. This is your Captain Speaking, and uh, welcome to this very different Christmas episode of the Max Wrestling Podcast, and completing the four horsemen of Max Wrestling, I'm Mike Larkin, Travis Anderson and Moses Marquez.
1: Well, speaking of Alex, I think he's up to. They just did a show about Roman and Taker from Mania um, from 2017. Then, I mean, they're gonna go right up to Cena, which is one of his shortest ones in WrestleMania history.
0: Oh yeah. Um, I'm glad the that we didn't have to do a full episode on Undertaker versus Roman.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we couldn't tell the time on that guy.
0: Oh yeah. So, let's begin with the introduction and evolution of the undertaker's character because, I have to say, in terms of longevity, he's the most adaptable professional wrestler I think we've ever seen. He always knew uh when it was time to try something new while still maintaining the same shades of his dead man gimmick, and he did that for thirty years
3: absolutely 30 glorious years.
0: like. Even something as simple as switching from black and gray to black and purple.
2: Ah, yes. <laughs> the early days of the Undertaker, the guy that captivated and started my love for professional wrestling, and all it took was that fantastic entrance, which we may never see again. And truth be told, that does bring a tear to my eye. You know, every I I don't care if the guy is like. All this dirt. If you can't bump, if you can't like, I don't care. It's, it is his presence that still gets me to this day. Every time, the, even though there's nobody in there, you know, there's nobody in the Thunderdome. That gong goes off. I still get shivers down my spine. Yeah, man. Thirty-one-year-old man. 31 year old you. man.
3: I, I I've said on this show so many times. You know, I I don't watch WWE anymore. Um, but I'll I'll be honest. Like where my passion for wwe started to die it was i felt like i hit my bucket list i've accomplished everything that i wanted to with wwe by going to wrestlemania and seeing the Undertaker in person at mania hear that gong at mania fucking hell dude <laughs> it like it it's Words cannot describe that kind of feeling.
0: Nah. And I'm... Well, yeah, I'm probably never going to get that feeling now. Um, I was 11 months old when Undertaker debuted at Survivor Series. Damn. Well...
1: (laughs) To go off what Travis was saying, I completely understand where he's coming from, because my first ever live experience with the Phenom character, because most of my live experiences when I started going to the events when he was the American badass, mm. my first ever think the Phenom was uh, Madison Square Garden, WrestleMania 20, him and Kane with Paul Bearer coming back. I mean, I'm, I'm sure you had a hell of a presence on the
0: Harley anyway.
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, <laughs> watching him against Test Summer Slam 2002 at the Old Glory behind him, this was during the Un-Americans time, and I mean, then just watching him just ev- after that was amazing. But Yeah, and also my first ever interaction to a live event was uh, the night that Eric Bischoff became the GM. It was him and Brock Lesnar against
0: Rob Van Dam and Ric Flair in the main event. Wow, what a main event. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, speaking of changing his appearance, <clears throat> um, I remember like... Maybe twenty years ago, there was like something going around that where he had a different face every year. Like he looked different every single year for ten years. Probably the go-to. kind of a different face. Yeah. Uh, then there was also ninety six. He wore a mask for a while, which was a uh, kind of a creepy look.
2: Oh yeah, the little uh, was it Phantom of the Opera kind of thing. Yeah. Well, he ha- broke
0: his nose. Yep, yes. he broke. I think he should have kept that for a while. It was a creepy look. Hey, I don't he think it
3: off. he he pulled it off better than Cody Rhodes did oh, yeah. uh, in his, his WWE <laughs> career. <laughs> no
0: disrespect to Cody. Unfortunately, I I, no. don't, I don't think very many people remember Taker with a mask.
2: For those who don't are uh, what we call too young.
0: Yes. Well, okay. All right.
3: Now you're talking to one of them. Right. So I I never well, you, well your
2: excuses. You also get really into wrestling until like mid two thousands.
3: Yeah. Yeah. It it was fairly early 2000s when I got into wrestling. But I have seen pictures of it, so I I can speak on it a little bit.
2: (laughs) There you go.
0: Yeah, if if I remember rightly, I think he wore it in a match against Brett. Was it
2: Rumble? That sounds right.
0: I'm pretty sure. You're talking like
2: early 95, 96? 96, yeah. Yeah, early 96, yeah, it sounds right. Um, and then, of course, one of my
0: favorite looks was the Ministry, the really gothic Undertaker, where he, he kind of showed a little bit more personality, but still maintained all that darkness that we all were familiar with.
2: Yeah, Figured out how to crank it up. You know, the Undertaker alone wasn't wasn't scary anymore, so he was like, you know what, let's <laughs> turn some, like, possessive shit and, you know, uh, sacrificing into this thing, and let's do it like that, do it up, and... And it worked. It worked great. It was um, it's captivating, to say the least. Like like Undertaker, like how we've kept saying or how you have kept saying, he's always been able to flip the switch and stay relevant. Yeah. No matter what.
0: And obviously, the the Gong uh, feudal march is what we're all familiar with with the Undertaker. But I think the Ministry theme
2: is absolutely my favorite. That guitar oh, yeah, riff right. is sick. It is it's one that lives rent free in my head
1: yeah. he also around that time in like 98 99 for a pop culture reference where he was like doing like that character when he was going against uh, nick diamond's kid on celebrity deathmatch tombstone and getting the demon out of him for those that remember that episode of celebrity deathmatch
2: <laughs> ah the late 90s yes uh,
0: you haven't lived people
2: <laughs>
0: the, late, the late 90s were wild. And, and I'm not everywhere. talking
2: that celebrity deathmatch reboot that they did in like the early 2000s or whatever the hell. I'm talking like.
0: Yeah. It the, the was new, The new millennium era was just nuts in every like, aspect of entertainment.
2: It was like, you know, you were a big star when MTV was like, put him in celebrity deathmatch. <laughs>
1: <laughs> what else are you looking at the time here with the ministry? The most iconic line is "Where
0: to, Stephanie?" Dad. <laughs> Great. Yeah, uh, yeah, Tried to marry Stephanie McMahon, and she was, of course, <laughs> saved by Stone Cold.
2: Yep. But let's not digress that, uh, or, or overlook the fact that Triple H then married her via drive thru while she was yes. unconscious. <laughs> and the yeah, lady where, was like oh it's all good
0: where was stone cold then yeah
2: Drink beer. that, no, that
0: minister must have been drunk because cl- clearly <laughs> Stephanie was unconscious and Triple H like oh yeah I'm so excited <laughs> well, all right, dude, knocked out Triple H was eyes. literally doing Mr. Hat uh,
1: well, well stone cold had gotten uh, friggin run over by a oh, car yeah,
0: yeah of course yeah, this was in yeah. December. Well, uh, is... yeah, it was literally just after Survivor Series. Hmm. Um. Obviously, the biggest risk taker took was completely changing his look to, as we said, the American badass. Um. But it, it paid off.
2: Oh, did it ever! Most people nowadays, the the casual wrestling fan, believe it or not, they know. They re- they remember the name of the Undertaker, and I, because I have a lot of these friends that are, oh, I eat the one red right thing, and then you got whatever. They give yeah. the dumb excuse, mainly because somebody made fun of you. Oh my God, I, I have insecurities. Look, dude, it's good <laughs> shit. You should have hung on. Anyway, the, most of them remember Biker Taker because he had he would drive the he would ride the bike down. He was big and loud. He did the uh, the last ride, which was cool, and then he was funnier. He could let loose more. You would always eat what was his famous the whole thing. He's like, there's only one type of pie me and Kane like, a boom bang pie. And just, <laughs> well, that's I still like I lives that segment. In, <laughs> exactly. It lives in fucking casual wrestling fans minds for the rest of their lives. Yeah. One
0: of his so, quotes I've,
3: that I've lives. always loved I I don't know what it is about the American badass, but it it just holds something special in me.
1: I fucking love it. So, for me, what I always loved about the American Badass character, too, is just because, again, me being the music guy, I always loved, yo, gonna pay, yeah. You're gonna pay, there's no forgiveness this time. I love that theme.
0: Yeah, I'm still pissed at Limp Bizkit for removing the rights to use Rolling. Yeah, he's a butt sucker. Yeah.
1: Well. Again, as a youngster, man, watching Sunday Night Heat and then going into WrestleMania 19, man, watching them perform rolling, 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 what? And when he was teaming with Nathan Jones, I'm sorry, where he had the handicap match, and Nathan Jones taken out by the fucking
0: FBI, man. Ugh. Oh, man, I loved them performing rolling live.
2: It was great. I popped huge for it.
0: I want to take his quotes that lives rent-free in my head was during the invasion, because it lives rent-free in my head because I... It, I struggled to make sense of it, but like what he was saying um, was when Freddie Blassie was about to rile the whole troops up but Taker kind of got there first and was like, time to find out who's the phony tough and who's the crazy brains. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> but Undertaker said it so it's cool. Well, yeah,
1: then he's like, there's no shame in not fighting at all. Yes. He's just, get up,
0: get
1: That one now. made sense
0: and that one was badass too.
1: Well, you're forgetting also the I got more shower time than you got ring time.
2: <laughs> That's There's, great.
0: i know i know one of phoenix's favorite because me and me and him laughed about it so many times i think it was uh oh, and christian i want to say came looking for kane or they came looking for the brothers of destruction went into the locker room just got their asses kicked and taker just comes out like next time knock <laughs> <laughs> that sounds awesome <laughs> I got to find well, out sp- specifically who it was, but I just remember that oh, quote.
1: Was that the Big Show? When Big Show came in and then Big Show, like, friggin' got his ass kicked? I think it was
0: the Big Show. I'm going to have to find it because. It, <laughs> well,
1: I think what also stood out to me, too, is besides that, yes. like, around 2001.
0: It was, was it the Big Show? show? Oh. It was Big Show. Um, let me play it now for audio benefit. <laughs>
3: <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: yes, so it was Big Show looking for the Hardy Boys, ran into Undertaker and Kane and just got the pulp knocked out of him.
1: I think right after that, like a month later, was another one of my favorites when he was speeding with Austin and he's driving the Amazon News, just goes,
0: Hello boys and then he just starts kicking <laughs> the ass Yeah, Stone Cold strapped to a stretcher in the back just screaming
1: <laughs> Driver
0: go Uh and Triple H just abandons him. Yeah, I'm, I ain't doing none of this shit. Great. Right. We'll, no, get, we'll get into rivalries just... in just a moment, but we're going to leave it there for just a second and go back to our reading of A Taker's Carol. The door to Vince's office was open, so that he may keep his eye upon his buck assistant, Kevin Dunn, who in a dismal little office, a sort of tank, was copying letters. A Merry Christmas, Dad! God save you! came a cheery voice. It was the voice of Vince's son, Shane. Bah! Humbug! said Vince. Christmas! A humbug, Dad! You don't mean that, I'm sure. I do, said Vince. Merry Christmas. What reason have you to be merry? Raw on the ground was a complete failure. What reason have you got to be dismal? You finally got Roman over. Vince having no better answer ready on the spur of the moment said, bah, humbug. Don't be cross, dad, said Shane. What else can I be, returned the chairman, when I live in such a world of fools as this? What's Christmas but a time to pay bills without money, and a time for finding yourself a year older and half a million viewers lower? If I had my way, Every idiot who goes about with an AEW shirt on should be boiled in his own pudding and buried with a steak of holly through his heart. Keep Christmas in your own way, and let me keep it in mine. But you don't keep it, Shane replied. Let me leave it alone then. Shane left the room without an angry word. He stopped to bestow season's greetings upon Kevin Dunn, who, cold as he was, was warmer than Vince, for he returned them cordially. We will return to A Taker's Carol shortly, but first I have to remind you that our very special event this Sunday, December 27th, as we present the Maxis Awards 2020 Fatal Interaction. We award the best and worst of 2020 as voted for by you, plus the Phoenix will be challenging Alex Dorio in a big rematch for the Knowledge Championship. You also voted for the Phoenix to challenge Moses for the Promo Championship in his first ever attempt. And speaking of first ever, Daniel Crimmins and Travis Anderson will each have a partner of their choice for the first ever Tag Team Promo Exhibition. And as you found out last, well, this past week, uh, The Jester will be facing Chris Durham at Podcast Promo Rumble 6 for what is now the new Max Racing World Championship. That's this Saturday. Don't miss it. This Sunday, sorry. Don't miss it. After several attempts, Vince sat down again His glance happened to rest upon a bell, a disused bell. It was with great astonishment that he looked as the bell began to swing, softly at first, then soon a loud gong. This might have lasted half a minute, or a minute, but it felt like an hour. It was succeeded by a clanking noise deep below, as if a person were dragging heavy chain. It's humbug still, said Vince. I won't believe it. His colour changed though, when without a pause, it came on through the heavy door and passed into the room before his eyes. The candle flame leapt up as though it cried, Look at the size of that ham hock! The same face, the very same, The Undertaker. With his long black hair, black and grey costume, grey boots and gloves. What do you want with me? Said Vince, caustic and cold as ever. "Much." Undertaker's voice, no doubt about it. Who are you? Ask me who I was. Who are you then? Said Vince, raising his voice. In life, I was the Undertaker. You don't believe in me. I don't, said Vince. Why do you doubt your senses? Because a little thing affects them. A slight disorder of the stomach makes them cheat. You might be an undigestive bit of beef, a blot of mustard, a crumb of cheese, a fragment of overdone potato. There's more of gravy than of grave about you. The voice of Paul Bearer echoed with an,
2: oh yes,
0: as the undertaker shook his chain with such a dismal and appalling noise that Vince held on tight to his chair. But much greater was his horror when the phenom rolled his eyes to the back of his head and CGI lightning appeared all around the room. Vince fell to his knees, pleading for mercy. Do you believe in me or not? I do, said Vince. I must, but why do you come to me? It is required of every man, returned the undertaker, that the spirit within him should walk among his fellow men and witness what it cannot share. Woe is me. Why do you wear that chain?" said Vince. I wear the chain I forged in life. I made it, link by link, and yard by yard, for every soul I claimed. Would you know the weight and length of the chain you bear yourself? It was as heavy and as long as this seven Christmas Eves ago, and you've labored on it since. I'm here tonight to warn you that you have a chance and hope of escaping your fate. Thank you, Undertaker. You are always my number one. You will be haunted by free spirits. Expect the first when the bell tolls one. Expect the second at the stroke of two, and the third will appear in his own good time. The Undertaker sank below the floor. In a cloud of blue smoke. Of course, we'll return to a Taker's Carol in just a bit, but let's get back to the Undertaker's career um, because you know we can't mention his career without talking about the WrestleMania streak, uh, which of course ended with Brock Lesnar. Oh. Well, let's let's start at the beginning first, because he just squashed Jimmy Snooker to kick it off, and as he said many times, nobody even realized that there was a streak until he got to, like, 9-0. and
2: Mm-hmm. Um,
0: and, yeah, I think that's the time when everybody kind of realized, oh, shit, yeah, the Undertaker's undefeated at WrestleMania.
2: No, we didn't pay no mind. We just sent him out there, beat everybody else, but, oh, okay, <laughs> let's keep it going.
0: Like, even when he was against Kane, I think that was... Okay, Phoenix is gonna school me on this one if he was here, but I think that was six and oh or seven and oh.
2: I wanna and say I, seven I
1: no idea. Yeah, because the well yeah, no, well ten and O was two thousand and two, so yeah. Yeah, nine, eight, seven, oh well, that was six. It yes, was six.
0: he missed oh, WrestleMania yeah. ten. There we go.
1: Yes. And he missed WrestleMania sixteen. Yeah. So yeah, and they really didn't start noticing it until like the flare match at 18 with the ten and O.
0: Yeah. Uh I mean well you would. Um but also I believe Rob Van Damme is still undefeated at WrestleMania. <laughs> <laughs> oh well. <laughs> yeah, I don't think he's gonna get to twenty one or no. Yeah, no. <laughs> Especially not now anyway. Um but yeah, there was obviously some great matches in Undertaker's WrestleMania streak before they realised it was a streak. Like we said, there was Undertaker and Kane, which I rewatched so many times and distinctly remember it taking three tombstones to put Kane away. Like, in a row. Uh, and of course, a hell of a WrestleMania debut for Taker, which was preceded by Kane dropping Pete Rose with a tombstone <laughs> for the first of three WrestleMania appearances.
1: I think what was so special about that is the fact that, you know, the storytelling of he couldn't kill his brother on one, because everybody would just do about one, and then here comes three with Kane. And one of the greatest stories over the past 20 years is this thing with uh, him and Kane, and then opposite the Brothers of Destruction. But yeah, also that was a staple. It's like, you know, Tombstone, Chokeslam, Stinkface,
0: Poor Pete Rose. <laughs> Stinkface, oh, man. Ugh. No. Um, well, before that, of course, Taker defeated uh, Psycho Sid for the WWE Championship at WrestleMania 13. Um, but yeah, I don't think he held it for very long.
1: Well, no, because then he <laughs> lost it to Bret Hart at
0: SummerSlam. Yeah, well, oh. yeah, like a few months, but at least it was longer than when he won it for the first time against Hogan.
1: Uh, friggin' Hogan in the Tuesday in Texas, man. Yeah, what the hell?
2: <laughs> Do you know who he beat for that belt, by the way? Hogan, uh, no, 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 uh, Taker. Who did he beat at 13 to win it?
1: Psycho said we just said
0: that.
2: Oh, you son of a bitch. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, WrestleMania 15 was the Hell in a Cell match against the big boss man. Um, oh. and I remember, uh, you know, what? Um, I, I was a little bit naughty, I, I taped WrestleMania, but I a- accidentally taped the replay. And on the replay, they edited out the end of the Hell in a Cell match where, of course... Yeah, they
2: did, the fuckers.
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we, we can't show that on TV. Well, do you agree that it's one of the worst? Because they ranked that as one of the worst Hell in a Cell match. It, it's definitely the least memorable Hell in a Cell match. Um, I mean, especially when you consider the fact that it was at WrestleMania.
1: Well, I also refute the fact that there's, there's been other bad Hell in a Cell matches. I mean, Triple H versus Kevin Astrom Bad Blood 03, anybody?
0: Yeah, at no, least thanks.
1: that had Mick Foley and it had a good build-up. That's true. And also we got ch- uh, trapped with Headstrong,
0: but still. Yes. You
1: know, Undertaker's big watchman was the less memorable of the Hell in Cells, but it's mostly memorable for the hanging afterwards.
0: Yeah. Uh, I mean, it, it was kind of bloody. It, I think, obviously, it also had the unfortunate timing of following the previous Hell in Cell match, which was Taker and Mankind.
2: Oh, yeah, way to follow that guy up. Yeah.
0: Uh, and, of course, this was, was still still my all-time favorite match. Yeah. Uh, this, of course, was back when Hell in Cell matches were unpredictable. Like, you didn't know when they were going to happen. And this was, like, over a year since the last one.
1: And, yeah, then they didn't make them into pay-per-views until fucking 10 years after that match. Yeah.
0: Hey, it's a Which great... Which
3: they... I still don't... I hate how they turn gimmick matches yes. into a fucking pay-per-view. Like... But that's a topic for another day, I guess.
0: Yeah, because <laughs> it used to be a special feeling when somebody would yell Hell in the Cell.
3: Yeah, like kind of. I mean, like War Games. That's different, you know.
0: Well, they were very late but, announcing War Games this year, so we we weren't we weren't sure if we were actually going to get it.
3: Well, true, especially with how crazy everything is. Yeah. But like like Money in the Bank, that needs to go back to WrestleMania.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's so stupid naming a pay-per-view after that match in particular because it's literally just a lot of matches.
3: Yeah. And then, like, you got TLC, which, no. <laughs> Especially, like, with the most recent one, there was only two gimmick matches, right? Uh,
0: well, there was two TLC matches. There was the Firefly Inferno match as well. But, yeah, oh, only two right. TLC but, matches. Yeah. Um, yeah. But-
3: but the, there was nothing else. It, it, it just don't make no sense.
0: The worst possible one they turned into a pay-per-view was Fatal 4-Way. What, no. a, what a match don't to turn into a pay-per-view.
1: Don't you dare. Did
0: they really? They did. I think I they only was, did it once. but
1: I was at the one and only Fatal 4-Way at the Nassau Coliseum. Don't remind me of that one. <laughs> <laughs> Whose stupid the, idea uh, was yeah. that? Oh my God! Well, they voted on it online, or they did like a survey of what the uh, what they were gonna go with, and that one won.
0: Okay, and that what card the hell would WWE of... fans smoke in that year? I
1: oh, don't know. Well, the main event was the Sheamus, Cena, Orton, and Edge for the uh, title. That was when the Nexus got involved. I think Chris Jericho wrestled Evan Bourne on that show. And, yeah, there were a couple of things. Oh, Usos against the Hart Dynasty. This was, like, around the, the time when the Usos debuted. I think this is the one where Alicia Fox won the Divas Championship.
0: Yeah, it, it was a time. So it was 2000. You, there was only one that's Fatal 4-Way
3: That's right. That's right. I do remember that. Yep.
0: Just, we won it <laughs> only Fatal 4-Way. And, mm-hmm. and just yeah. the one Fatal 4-Way match. Yep. See, the match doesn't oh, no, sound no, that no, bad, but you don't need to no. name the pay-per-view after it.
1: Well, no, it was Mysterio, Swagger, and um, CM Punk, and I think somebody else for the world title. Oh,
3: okay. uh, I'm, I'm sure y'all will highly disagree with me, but the only pay-per-view that I enjoyed that I felt like was kind of like gimmicky is Cyber, uh, Cyber Sunday. Well,
0: yes. Yeah, the
1: taboo Cyber Sunday I, work. I, I miss that shit.
0: I also like, like I the love fact it. that it was a pay-per-view on a Tuesday because it was different.
1: But yeah, then they switched it to Sunday because the friggin' buy rates for Taboo Tuesday sucked the first <laughs> two
0: years. Because nobody wants to watch a pay per view on a Tuesday. Yeah, nobody <laughs> wants to, but I kind of liked how different it was.
1: I liked how different it was too, but you know, the problem was like it only worked for two
0: years, and then it's like, god
1: damn it, we gotta go back to Sunday.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, well, back to the streak. One thing I've never quite understood uh, was WrestleMania 19 when Knife and Jones was removed from the tag match, and then he appeared anyway, interfered in the match when he wasn't in the match, which wasn't a DQ. Oh. Well,
1: okay. All right, I got to go back to that. Here's the thing. I think Bruce Pritchard has addressed it on something to wrestle with. It was a situation was he wasn't ready the house show reports he was sucking Nathan Jones day, and the fact that you know it's just like alright let's have him do one spot where he doesn't screw up so he gave a roundhouse kick to the fucking big show and then take her Tombstone's 8 train for the win so they had him do one spot but technically he didn't get DQ'd because technically he was still in the match even though he got taken out of the match so yeah it was a wonky thing
0: yeah it was very wonky um okay I guess that explains it he he was shit <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I mean, they needed something for that match because Undertaker versus A-Train and Big Show doesn't really scream marquee to me.
1: Well, you also have to recall, like, around this time, he was shooting with Big Show at No Way Out, and he's really, really sorry, and then the friggin' boxes and beating the crap out of Canyon. And and just like, and then he got taken, uh, well, it all started when uh, he military-pressed Undertaker off the stage. After that whole match with Hell in a Cell with the No Mercy, O two, and then you just belted and belted and belted to the Rumble, and then No Way Out, and then the blow off at Mania with Big Show and A Train, and then if you actually look at it and you actually notice it, most of 2003 his rivalry was with Brock Lesnar, Big yeah. Show and A Train, and that one match with Cena
0: and Vengeance. Yeah, 2003 was a great year. It was. Um, WrestleMania twenty, I was so hyped for because of course it was the return of the Dead Man after Kane buried him alive at Survivor series. And then the match was just eh. First of all, it was just over ten minutes long. Yeah. And it just it wasn't as impressive as the first Take a Kane match.
1: It wasn't, but the friggin' memory and the moment that crowd was lit in Madison Square Garden. I believe our own Alex Dorio even was in attendance at that one. So I mean it's one of those ones that's just it's memorable for the moment. And just the overall feeling of Paul Bear being back in that you're no son of mine, and then he looks over. Then he looks over with the urn and just that entrance with the druids. It's more memorable for the moment than the
0: match because the yeah. match was. Uh, and of course, Kane was like a little pussy for the whole match. You're not <laughs> real. You're not well. That was the story they yeah. told the story.
1: You're not real. I buried you alive because Kane had to shout it like twenty fucking times. So you know it is what it is.
0: Yeah. Oh, it was definitely a mark-out moment when Paul Barrow just echoed through the building because nobody was expecting Paul Bearer.
1: No, but I mean, it made for it, you know what I'm saying? I mean, he didn't last long for a yeah. concrete match, for God's sake, but yeah.
0: Oh, that was insane, the concrete crypt. I, I'd yep. love to know how they did that live.
1: Well, I think uh, Paul Bearer, like, they taped it early, but he was not actually on the pay-per-view. It was like a stunt double. Crazy. I have to send you the video because he went into detail about it.
0: Crazy, crazy, crazy times. Yep. Um, And I don't think there's really been an explanation as to why they decided to bury Paul Barrow in concrete or how they explained uh, it afterwards, because it, he, he obviously came back afterwards.
1: Well, I think around this time it was a weight thing, and he just wasn't in the best of health, so they wanted him to go away and
0: try to get healthy. Oh, yeah, we know Vince loves to do that. Yes, Send him back yes. to the performance center. Uh hello Keith Lee. Oh. Um yeah, what came next? So like WrestleMania twenty one. Which no, was was Randy Orton. Mark was it Randy?
3: I thought it was Mark Henry. What
0: that was, was the 22. next year. Oh yeah, Randy Orton was twenty one, Mark Henry was twenty two in the casket yeah. match. Um and yeah. I a lot of people actually thought Orton was gonna end the streak thirteen and and no twelve and one what it would have been.
1: Well, that's the thing too, because you built Randy Orton, as you know. I don't, you know, if that message is simply this, one of my favorite RKO's to Stacy Keebler, Um, it's yes, it's, it's one of those things where like you're building him, you're building him, you're building him. He's in the backstage area talking with Superstar Billy Graham, and he's telling him to go out there and make a moment. And it's one of those things where you have his father involved. Like there was talk of actually him doing it, but they've, you know, they want him to take her winning. So. That would have been cool just because it really solidifies and signifies Randy Orton as a top key player. But I mean, after that, I think what he got hurt in his shoulder and then he came back in the summer to feud back with The Undertaker. But that whole build going into Mania 21 was absolutely fabulous. And once again, to reiterate, that RKO to Stacey Keibler was sweet.
0: Yeah, and she took it like a champ. Uh, to be honest, I think after the Orton match is when they probably decided, yeah, we're just going to take a win at WrestleMania every year. Because Mark Henry wasn't gonna end the streak. Um no. what was Ross twenty three? Who was Edge wasn't it? No, but no, twenty four, yeah. Tuesday. Yeah. Yeah, after that it was just world title matches. Yeah. <laughs> uh and then of course we finally get to the four year long rivalry with Shawn Michaels and Triple H. And just four of the best matches I can now, remember. Now, now before we get to
3: that, I I actually rather enjoyed the feud leading up to uh, 23 with Batista. Uh, he won the rumble, and that was also during the time with uh, ECW was still in the picture there. Yeah. So he, I remember on Raw, well, was seeing Undertaker come out to the ring. They had Batista. I want to say Rob Van Dam and Cena. It uh, was could be, yeah. It was Batista, Cena, and Bobby Lashley was in the UCW Bobby channel. Lashley, yeah. that's it. That's right. Yeah. And then just I, I, I specifically remember him just like looking at the three, and then just getting right in Batista's face, and t- slides that thumb across his throat in his face and I, I just
1: loved that moment I don't know why but I did No, I agree with Travis on this like it's one of the most iconic moments of that feud I remember as a kid at the time thinking to myself man what if he picked Cena because like we, that, he had not wrestled Cena one on one in a while and I'm like that would have been cool but I'm like well Batista made the most sense because you know they're on Smackdown and then they had a great rivalry in
0: 07 yeah, yeah. Um, I kind of remember Backlash a little bit more with the Last Man Standing match
1: Oh, wasn't that the one that had Kid Rock all summer long singing Sweet Old oh, Alabama" all summer long? That one?
0: Yeah, yeah. in April. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, but you're not going to find many people that will argue that Undertaker and Shawn Michaels are two of the greatest matches in WrestleMania history.
1: Oh, well, no. I think Deuce will argue it because, poor, <laughs> forget Deuce, you dumbass, not catching The Undertaker. You came up just a bit short.
0: Oh, deuce. Oh, deuce. Uh, um, Yeah, honestly, I didn't really expect Shawn Michaels to retire in the second match. What a way to go out. Oh, yeah, yeah. Amazing. Um, I would have been happy either way, but it was kind of unexpected for Shawn Michaels to retire. Because he was still way on top of his game.
3: Well, uh, I swore... I just knew Shawn Michaels was gonna take that streak. Yeah, like I, I, I swear, I, I don't know for sure. I will not confirm or deny, but I may have had money on it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I mean, it also made sense. I mean, it was only a couple of years before that that Shawn retired Rick Flair. Yeah, uh, and then of course he allowed Undertaker to retire him. But man. Then it was just a whole different ballgame with Triple H because the matches with Shawn Michaels were masterclass wrestling. And then the matches with Triple H were just violence. Uh, And I remember, of course, at the time, chair shots are banned to the head, but Triple H and Taker didn't care and they both got fined. Even though Triple H is an executive, he got fined for a chair shot to the head.
2: (laughs) That's what you get. You're supposed to set an example, hot damn it.
0: Yeah, lead by example, trips. Uh, the Hell in a Cell match, I think, was more, you know, kind of heart in your mouth kind of thing because there was so many near falls for Triple H. And then, oh, of yeah, course, man. HBK got involved and tried to help him, and he was just, like, all over the place.
2: Um, Insane, those three matches, if you really think about it. I mean, you had said that <clears throat> HBK and Taker is, like, WrestleMania history, but in reality, like, that's some of the greatest work in pro wrestling, period. Yeah yeah you know great storytelling just everything about it absolutely um like, trips too it's these
0: very, are...
3: it's just so rare to see like especially nowadays to see a storyline that actually works and lasts for multiple years
0: you Yeah. Know? and just the way they made the announcements as well like I think the second one was um. Triple H came back and then The Undertaker came back and then they both just looked at the sign without saying a single word
1: well yeah that was also around that time when they no that was I think that was the uh, oh my god was that the 2011 that was the first
0: one yeah the second one was uh, was it Undertaker wanted the rematch and Triple H didn't
1: yeah no that was the one where he shaved his head yeah
0: yeah (laughs) it was Shawn Michaels reaction as well to take his shaved head was the same as everybody else like what the fuck (laughs) (laughs)
3: <laughs>
0: <laughs> if you look back Sean's right in the middle of the camera so you can see his reaction perfectly um, yeah and then of course we get to the well we get to see Punk which again a lot of people thought he was going to end the streak and he damn near killed himself to put on the best match of the night because he was so pissed off that it wasn't the main event and he wasn't getting paid as much as Rock and Cena which is fair enough because it was shit.
1: Yep. Yeah, and you look at the stance of he's pouring out the uh, ashes from the urn. Oh, Paul wow. dressing like, like Paul Heyman's dressing like Paul Bear. Just And the whole, oh, my Undertaker. Oh, no disrespect intended, dropping the urn. It was just so well played from the start. And also, when they're, when they're freaking doing the tribute to Paul Bear, he just interrupts with the cult of personality. I loved it.
0: Yeah, Punk was a son of a bitch when he was a heel. Um, <sighs> That... Earn the ashes spot, though, I think hit so hard because Paul Barrow really hadn't been dead that long. I'm sure it was only like a couple of months, if that.
1: Yeah, it was relatively like soon and pretty much fast that he died and they did the whole thing at the Hall of Fame. So he wasn't even dead like within like a month. It was like so soon and so quick. But I think, you know, Undertaker was fine with it. And I think every party involved was fine with it. So they just did it and ran with it. I think I think also when you look at it from what they did, the documentary about Paul Bear during Taker's month, you know what I'm saying? Pretty much I think everybody thought knowing Paul Bear being the fun, loving guy that he is, they felt, you know, oh, Paul would love to be involved in the storyline of Mania, you know? So,
0: <laughs> oh yeah. Oh, yeah, I think Paul Bear would have loved CM Punk. Mm-hmm. Um, but, of course, you know, Punk came out with, like, broken ribs and stuff, and Taker came out still undefeated, and then the following, well, obviously that was Undertaker's last great uh, WrestleMania performance before the Boneyard match, which wasn't even in a yeah. ring.
1: Yeah, then he gets knocked the F out during the Lesnar match at WrestleMania 30th.
0: Yeah. Uh, and it's a sore subject for a lot of people.
1: It is. I was pissed when I first saw it. I was the guy in the front row. Like, really? You just, you're going to end the streak like that? Okay. I,
0: I'll be honest, I wasn't pissed off because I kind of understood if anybody can take the heat ending the streak, it's Brock Lesnar because he doesn't give a shit.
1: Oh, absolutely. But I look at it from a stance of like that year, Bill, too. Look at it from a stance of you go from Brock Lesnar doing that and him winning the title. Then you have the come-up of Bray Wyatt, which i got to say, and a lot of people felt he carried that feud because his promos were so great leading up to WrestleMania. And then they had the match, which you knew Taker was probably going to win because, hell, you know, you got to come back from the uh, streak losing and the loss to prove yourself. But I thought it was a proven ground from Bray Wyatt, and I really enjoyed everything that led up to the Bray Wyatt match.
0: Yeah, the Bray Wyatt match wasn't great, but it was good, and it was nice to see Taker a little more healthy than the year before. Yeah, and then here comes Shane McMahon.
2: <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. Yeah, like we had an idea he was going to jump off the cell, but I don't think we actually thought he was going to do it because, of course, it's the cell's much bigger now than it was when Mick Foley got thrown off the top.
2: Yeah, <sighs> a lot bigger.
0: Uh, and just unfortunately, we saw the beanbag going down under the table. <laughs> 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 but you know, I'm not going to take that away from it. It still took some balls to do that jump.
2: Yeah, I'm not fucking jumping over there even with a goddamn bag. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: but again, I mean that wasn't great, but it was a good performance from Taker. It wasn't as bad as we have seen him in yeah. recent years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So what what did the streak end on? On the end was it like twenty three and two?
1: Yeah, he only lost the two matches to Lesnar and Reigns. Yep, twenty two and two.
0: Twenty three wins, yeah. And again, yeah. unfortunately. Both times he's lost at Mania were his two worst performances.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's some bitch. But, yeah, then, you know what the, I also remember is because the year after the Roman one, the Cena match, everybody complained because it was pretty much The Undertaker's greatest hits and it was so short. And they wanted to see, like, a 15, 20-minute match. I'm like, it made sense because John Cena kept toying him. You know what I'm saying? You ain't got the balls. You lost the yada, yada. And then yeah, he just comes okay. out. All right, so
3: that that's the year. I was at WrestleMania. That's the year I got to see Undertaker at WrestleMania. I mean, it it happened so fast. And that's one of the things that sucks for me is because I didn't get to see him for long. You know, I didn't get to really savor it. I mean, you obviously got to savor the moment, but at the same time it it was just in and out, you know. But it, from, from my viewing point, being there, you know, John Cena's out there and then he starts walking, he gets out and starts walking up the ramp, lights go out and you're like, shit, Undertaker, <laughs> you know, and then you hear the guitar and it was fucking the lights madder than a damn hornet i was cussing my ass off i blew out my damn voice <laughs> at least well at at the time i thought i blew out my voice but then undertaker music hit and that's when i blew out my voice i can i still have the video i can send it to y'all later yeah like the flames coming up off the damn stage fuck like i I didn't have the best seats, but I had pretty good seats and I could feel the fire on my face and it just made it all even more real and more exciting. And so that, that it it was not one to talk about, but that moment though is kind of like what you were talking about earlier, Harry Larkin. It's not the match. It's the moment
0: there's this kind of positive and a negative like positive it probably wouldn't have been such a big moment if it hadn't have been the American badass that was rumored which apparently was spoiled by Kid Rock's Hall of Fame speech because he was going to perform Take It to the Ring
3: yeah and that was like so confusing as well because I he didn't he was there for the Hall of Fame ceremony yeah But he didn't even – he wasn't there at all at Mania and didn't even walk out on stage for her that segment of WrestleMania.
0: Yeah, they took him on the show. He was just – it was
3: just weird. It kind of sucked.
0: Yeah, they were pissed off because uh, in his Hall of Fame speech, he mentioned body slamming some Democrats. Oh. So they they, they removed him from the show.
1: Oh, Jesus. You know something, man? Kid Rock, Bob with the Bob, shut the fuck up. <laughs> <laughs>
3: I think that's why it had me so excited is um, I was expecting the American badass.
0: Yeah.
2: yeah.
3: And uh, But that's not what we got. We got The Undertaker, and that I think that's what really set me off the most was I was prepared for American Badass, but I got The Undertaker.
0: Yeah, like like I said, it's good and bad about it. It would have been a very cool moment to see that American Badass gimmick in all its glory again. But at the same time, it doesn't quite have the same presence as a dead man. Facts.
1: And then friggin' 2019, he's not even on WrestleMania. He comes out the day after, man, and just Tombstone's Elias.
0: Oh, poor Elias. <laughs> yeah, he fucking got but, I mean, the whole thing, man. He he recently said he used to get pissed off about stuff like that with part-timers coming and squashing, you know, the young talent until he watched yeah. the last ride and kind of understood where Taker was coming from.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, I mean, it's not like Taker comes back and squashes a world champion in 30 seconds.
1: Uh, yeah, hello. go, <laughs> okay, Goldberg.
0: Uh, okay. Okay. Let's get back to a taker's carol and then we will come and discuss Undertaker's best matches and rivalries. Lights flashed upon the room and Vince's curtains were drawn aside by a hand. Are you the spirit whose coming was foretold to me? asked Vince. I am. Who and what are you? I'm the ghost of Christmas Past, came the familiar voice of C.M. Punk. Vince still blinded by the light, asked that Punk put on his cap to shield his glow. What, you want to bury me already? Is it not enough that you are one of those whose passions made this cap and forced me through the whole trains of years to wear it low upon my brow? I meant no offense. Bullshit. You will apologize to me and take my hand. Vince did so, and within moments was transported back to 1957 where 12-year-old Vince first met his distant father, Vince McMahon Senior, the promoter of Capital Wrestling Corporation at the time. At that point, Vince Junior became interested in following in his father's footsteps on professional wrestling, and often accompanied him on trips to Madison Square Garden. He was then transported to 1969, where Vince became an in-ring announcer for WWF All-Star Wrestling. Vince watched his life, through the 70s before founding Titan Sports in 1979 and acquiring CWC from his ailing father in 1982. The Punk of Christmas past marked out as much as Vince as he watched the birth of Wrestlemania, Hulk Hogan body slamming Andre the Giant, Randy Savage versus Ricky Steamboat and The Undertaker's streak itself. Before long they even got to CM Punk's own match with The Undertaker, "'You still owe me money for that match,' said Punk. "'But Punk reached the darkest time for Vince, "'the second rise and second fall of the XFL.' "'Spirit, show me no more,' said Vince. "'Why do you delight to torture me?' "'These are the shades of your past,' said Punk. "'They are what they are. Don't blame me.' "'Leave me alone. Haunt me no longer.' Vince seized a cap and by a sudden action pressed it down upon Punk of Christmas Past's head. Um, obviously, Kane has got to be way up there, top of the list. Um, um, they were on and on, off again, tag team and then rivals. Um, they were juggling Paul Bearer between the two of them for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, the first time we saw Kane unmasked, well,. If you pause it at just the right time you can see him unmasked. SummerSlam two thousand and the match just got thrown out. I think that was the first time I witnessed a no contest. Yes. So Kane was... Kane just backs out and they throw the match out and like, wait, what the hell happened?
1: <laughs> no, and when he won. wore that
0: <laughs> Well dude, that blue gear too. Remember the blue gear? Oh, what <laughs> the shit was that? I don't know. Yeah, let's turn Kane blue. What? <laughs> Why? I just <laughs>
2: He's the big blue machine, you don't, you know.
0: (laughs) Do Uh, I need to remind you of Blue Dust?
2: Please don't.
1: (laughs) Take her with the friggin' leather, like, whatever that was, the blue ensemble that he fought Kane with. I didn't get that, but okay.
0: Oh, yeah. What the fuck?
1: Yeah, the thing, too, is, like, Kane ranks up there just because, I mean, they talked about it in their thing when he wrestled him as Dr. Isaac Yankum for Smoky Mountain Wrestling, and then friggin' here he goes with the Kane thing. I think for me, them as the tag champs, the Brothers of Destruction, like when they absolutely murdered DDP and Canyon in the cage match at SummerSlam oh. 2001.
0: Oh, I mean, poor, poor DDP. DDP. He had a lot of momentum as the stalker and then just got his yep. ass kicked every time.
1: Because it's like,
0: bang, fuck yourself. Yeah. I think even Sarah got a shot in at one point, didn't she?
1: No, Sarah beat her on Raw. Beat him on, yeah, beat him on Raw.
0: They, mm-hmm. oh, wait, they actually had a match? I don't remember that one.
1: Yeah, they beat. He beat he,
0: Undertaker comes in, choke
1: slams DDP, rolls him back into the ring. Sarah pins him like the Undertaker does with the tombstone. One, two, three.
0: I'm kind of getting flashbacks. Yeah, I forgot about that.
1: <laughs> well, and then the King of the Ring all one because everybody talks about Kurt and Shane. It's also, meant, you know, Sarah's on the video cam telling, it's time for you to become famous, DDP. And then Undertaker comes out, keep rolling, 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 and beats the bejesus yeah. out of DDP.
0: Now, see, I love that segment. But then the rest of the rivalry kind of fell flat. Mm-hmm. Um Agree.
2: Now, yeah.
1: Well, for me, you also got to look at it from a stance. I know he really didn't have like a much of a rivalry, but I loved his two matches that were very big with Jeff Hardy, of course, the oh, latter yeah. match from 2002, but also the, the one that really goes like that a lot of people really don't talk about is that Extreme Rules match that he had with him on SmackDown that was really good, like in 09.
0: Yeah. I think a lot of people oh, yeah. just remember the ladder match that was kind of... It was Undertaker's approval of Jeff as a solo main event wrestler.
1: Climb the ladder, kid. Make yourself famous. <laughs> Jerry Lawler had the best things in two where he kept telling him, please get
0: up, Undertaker, and then he's like, he's
1: still got that damn chair! And I'm like, all right.
2: <laughs> I was like, all right. I don't,
0: I don't quite remember if it's been explained or not, but if that was planned for Taker to kind of show some respect or if it was completely unexpected because jeff didn't look like he expected it
1: well i don't even care what it was man because here's the thing that whole little mini feud gave us you know you know jeff hardy i know you're extreme and you live for the moment but are you ready to die in that same moment it gave us that it gave us the match on raw before this and jeff's like my way to beat you a ladder match and then he just accepted and then boom we got one of the best ladder matches of all time
0: yeah and it was on raw yep and probably around 5 million viewers back then, too. Yeah, not now. No, now we're on 1.5. <laughs> Oofa. Oofa. Uh, yeah, I actually looked the other day, um, because I know it's going off topic a little bit, but USA are very pissed off with Raw for having all-time low ratings of like 1.5. When they first went back to USA, Raw Homecoming, they had 4.4 4 million.
1: Well, when you talk about Raw homecoming, man, this was around the time when John Cena and Eric Bischoff did the thing and Eric Bischoff got put in the damn dumpster. And then you have them going back to Raw. You have them firing JR and Linda McMahon, kicking JR in the ding-ding. So it's one of those things, man, where you have that just overall appeal of them going back to USA off of Spike TV, you know, the whole nine. So, I mean, you have that appeal. And and once again, this is 15 years ago we're talking about as opposed to what we have now.
0: Yeah. Um, Another one of Undertaker's most underrated rivals actually i think was stone cold
1: well well the one that really sticks out to me too is because i love all their feuds and we talked about the 01 and the 99 and them as tag champs what really gets me too is just imagine them being in that scene that scenario where you're wrestling it's over the edge this owen hart dies and you're wrestling in the ring and you're in the
0: same spot where owen hart fell yeah uh over the edge was so tough um but, I mean, at the same time, there was some good matches that followed it. It's just, you know, it. They, eh, I don't know what they would have done if they'd have just thrown it out. Um, It was also, a, any other night, it would have been great, the matches. And it was a great spot in between Taker and Austin where I think Shane kind of pushed them over and they ended up rolled up in the pin and then Shane does a quick count. Yeah. yeah. Uh, But actually just after that led to one of my favorite, actually I think it is my favorite Raw main event title match that I've ever seen between Stone Cold and Taker. It just felt like a big match and we don't get that very often on Raw. Especially nowadays.
2: Mm, Well they don't know how to book feuds anymore. Nope. Not at all. So if I could throw my uh, my hat in the ring on this whole one, I'm I was listening to you guys. I don't really remember hearing mankind, which you know everybody knows this rivalry well. One of the things that brought me into it was you know obviously retro and doing the pay per views. Uh, I'm actually looking back at my notes right now for the Broiler Room Brawl, which was like the first one. It was ridiculously innovative. It took you to a place where it was like, holy crap, this is. They, they allow guys to do this stuff, and it just it just you it allowed your mind to realm you know just just roam and do everything and I actually gave that match like a four and a quarter I thought it was excellent, and then just but the way it started from there and then it took like a small hiatus he went back to gold dust and then bam, he's right back at it with you know in the title picture and then him and mankind is like a constant thing for fuck what like two years. Yeah. God, I love me some Taker. <laughs> he,
0: he didn't really feud with The Rock very much, but they did have a title match at King of the Ring in 99.
2: Yeah, I mean, they didn't have the... I think it was one of those things where it was just, they were both on that, uh, what is it, that t- extreme top-tier level, and if they ever came, you know, if it was ever one-on-one, you know, in a full-long feud, it's like one of them has to go down. And I know Vince didn't want any, either one of them to go down. So, yeah. I mean, it's. Well, ma- matches here and there are fine, but yeah, like a long term feud, no. Didn't happen. And I, I would have liked it, I think. But we'll never know.
1: Well, I mean, I also remember them fighting on pay per view with The Rock and Taker from No Way Out 02 where Flair hit Taker with the pipe. And then I also look at it from a stance of like when Rock was the undisputed champion, gave us a great triple threat match with Taker. Kane and Kurt Angle at Vengeance 2002. So, I mean, they had their moments.
0: I believe there was another great triple threat match at Vengeance 2003 as well. They just uh, yeah. replaced Taker with Brock Lesnar. Big Show. And Big Show was in it, yeah. Uh, yeah, Big Show replaced uh, The Rock, my bad. Yeah, there was some great triple threat matches back then. It's It's a shame we didn't get much more Rock and Taker. Because well, they were
1: the tag, they were the tag champs, dads
0: very, very briefly. Yes, yes. uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, you would have expected Rock to feud with Taker more during the mini uh, corporate ministry days, but of course,
1: well, it gave us Mickey Mouse tattoos, Undertaker with your Mickey Mouse tattoos.
0: Uh, well, they teamed a lot during the invasion, of course.
1: Well, yeah, and then also King of the Ring 2000, Taker came in, uh. And The Rock against the McMahon's
0: and Triple H. That super choke slam was awesome.
1: Oh, poor shame. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, yeah. Later on, of course, his feuds were with the likes of Batista and Edge uh, over the world title. And it was kind of strange seeing Taker feuding over the world title so much because he was back as the Dead Man, and you didn't you don't really associate the Dead Man with a world champion because he didn't really need the belt.
1: Now, I mean, the. I look at it from a sense, like the Edge feud I loved going into Mania, the Hell in a Cell, where he freaking chokes through the ring at SummerSlam was great. It, it's interesting because around that time in oh eight oh seven, 7 you had the Batista feud, you have the Edge feud. Uh, I mean, I'll be honest, the Big Show feud I was not a fan of in 2008 with the casket match and all that. Man. And then we got Michael stuff. But 06 was mostly Mark Henry and the, the fucking great colleague. But, yeah, no,
2: it's... <laughs> oh, <boy. laughs>
1: Yeah. fucking that's all it was man and friggin oh six was taker it was him and oh mr kennedy of course with the last ride match but yeah that was around the time i was like eh, because like he was mostly feuding with Kali and the fucking big show and i'm like no
0: yeah and i'll definitely agree with travis of course the the hell in a cell with mcfoley was timeless yes. yes um but he did also have a great rivalry with mcfoley um there was also the first ever boiler room brawl and the first ever Buried Alive match
2: yeah.
0: mm-hmm. uh, him and Foley were very um, pioneering back in the day hey, for,
1: hey,
0: for me
3: personally for me personally that was my favourite feud that Undertaker ever had was with Mick Foley
0: yeah it, it, it was and I guess they both get so much respect for that Hell in a Cell match because even though they damn near killed each other they still saw it through to the end yeah. A crazy thing, like take a, like finishing the second half of the match with a broken ankle.
2: mm uh-huh. Mhm.
0: Like it wasn't bad to enough. Some Mick bitch. Foley's half dead.
2: I was gonna say, I was <laughs> that and then Mick Foley's outside dead, and Jr. screaming, "Oh my God, they killed him!"
0: And the great uh, moment was the tooth
3: uh, that penetrated his upper jaw straight into his damn nose. Yeah.
0: Uh, Terry, yeah. <laughs> Terry Funk gets chokeslammed right out of his shoes.
3: Yeah. <laughs> That that match is, is one of my favorites of all time.
0: Yeah. I mean, <laughs> so much went wrong, and they, it, it's still legendary. Uh,
1: I think this might be underrated too, but I will say this. Not Brock Lesnar like 2015 and 2014, but I love yeah. the Lesnar take from 2
0: The original take a Brock feud.
1: Yes. Um, and not the biker match that I hated as well from No Mercy 03. I'll exclude I'm that. that one. Biker chain. that. One fucking biker
0: chain. but no i mean Unforgiven was kind of funny because of course taker uh, i don't know if he just didn't want a job to brock or if he felt it wouldn't continue to feud if he dropped to brock but of course he decided to go with a, a no contest instead by throwing brock through the stage
1: oh that was great that was so great
0: and I, I definitely remember the story though. it was taker who refused to let Brock win that match and just wanted to go with, now we're going to go for no contest. Well, okay.
1: I mean, what do you say after that? Taker's got
0: to be the only person Vince won't argue with.
1: Well, it also made sense because it elevated Brock and then it gave us, you know, the whole thing. Well, at the end, what was so cool about that moment in visual, he's on top of the cell with the, uh, with the title and then he freaking comes down and just looks back at the freaking cell of the Taker and he goes, still the champ. And then he just walks out. It's like a badass. <laughs>
0: there was a great build up to Unforgiven as well of course, um, Sarah was pregnant at the time and Paul Heyman used it as a weapon got very personal
1: dude, life's a bitch he put his hand on the womb and said life's a bitch I'm like, I cannot believe it dude, I freaked out, I was 10 years old I'm like, did he just say life's a bitch
0: <laughs> no, but it was such a great moment when Heyman was like, I refuse to take care of your unborn child and then Taker t- t- just flips over the table and that stare-down, man, was epic. Yeah. And I think it added another element to it as well when they were coming up to the Hell in a Cell match and Brock just smashes Taker's hand with a fire extinguisher. And so he has to and wear you remember, a cast. Yes, and remember the old no-mercy theme, man. I
1: have no mercy on your soul. Like, that helped it too.
0: Yeah, there's been like three different versions of that. Um, but I remember Brock and Heyman being shocked when Stephanie was like, oh, the cast will be legal. Well, yeah, it's a Hell in a Cell match. Well, they the, the yelling, that cast
1: has to come off Undertaker's <laughs> hand before.
0: You can or use anything a... in a Hell in a Cell match, but no, we don't want a cast. No, 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 no. Um, and they kind of made it even more badass before the match when Taker's in the back with a doctor and he's like, I ain't going to get through Hell in a Cell and you should give me that shot. And just gets the injection yeah. in his hand. But,
1: ah. Oh. What about when uh, they had the hardcore match with Matt Hardy and then he just f 5 him or whatever the fuck that was? <laughs> <laughs> it was like popcorn or some shit?
0: Matt got mollywhopped.
1: Matt got mollywhopped, but there was like... Remember he slammed him? it and looked like popcorn shit? It was like a case of popcorn or some shit. Remember that?
0: I, I don't that know, happened. but when you when you say popcorn, I just remember taking a mollywhop in Maven.
1: Oh, Yes. Well, one of my favorites was, even before The Maven, do you remember a friggin' Vengeance 01? And the guy's Gen RVD, RVD, RVD's
2: getting his ass kicked.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah Badass Taker was so cool. <laughs> Just because he was more human and more cocky. Ah, Great, great times. Uh, okay, we're getting to the final part of the story now. And after this... I guess we're going to be looking back on his retirement so here's the next part of a taker's carol at the stroke of two vince was back in his bed when the bell struck a ghostly light from the adjoining room seemed to shine the moment vince's head was on the lock a strange voice called him by his name and bade him to enter it was his own room transformed the walls and ceiling were hung with living green from every part of which bright gleaming berries glistened. In easy state upon a couch, there sat a jolly long-haired giant wearing flip-flops. "'Come in and know me better, bro!' exclaimed the ghost. Vince entered timidly. "'I'm the bro of Christmas past. Look upon me!' Vince did so, tilting his head. "'You've never seen the likes of me before.' "'Never!' said Vince. "'I must admit you're a riddle to me.' You've never walked forth with my elder brothers born in these later years? I don't think I have, said Vince. Have you had many brothers? Over 1800 bro. A tremendous family to provide for. True, said the spirit. Especially when we all get the munchies. But bro nuts are going very well. Now touch my robe. The bro with Christmas presents took Vince forth to look upon Christmas Day of his clerk, Kevin Dunn and of his son-in-law and daughter Triple H and Stephanie. Vince enjoyed watching them play a game of yes and no until it came to Triple H's turn where the questions from his guests determined that he was thinking of an animal, a live and rather disagreeable animal, a savage animal that growled and sometimes grunted, sometimes spoke and lived in Connecticut. Finally his wife Stephanie exclaimed, I know what it is, I know. It's my dad." "'Very good,' said Triple H. "'Well, Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year, wherever the old man is.'" Vince looked upon the bro and noticed his hair had gone grey. "'Are Spirits' lives so sharp?' he asked. "'My life,' said the bro. Much like many who are called up from NXT, he is very brief in your presence, bro." "'Well, forgive me for asking, but there seems to be something beneath your robes." Oh, bro, look here. From the foldings in his robe were two figures scowling at Vince. This is Tony Khan and Cody Rhodes, said the spirit. Beware of them both, for they spell doom for you unless the writing be erased. The bell struck. Uh, so, the gong has rung for the final time on Taker. I know a lot of people were disappointed with the actual retirement, um... I mean, it was never going to be the same without a crowd. But the most confusing part of it was when they brought all these legends out and then they disappeared before Taker came out. And it was like, what was the point? I mean, I I know it was a, a little bit out of character, but he's retiring anyway. It would have been cool for, like, the old Ring of Honor style retirement where everybody's just standing around the ring.
3: That's how it should have been.
0: Yeah. Because they, they did it with Ric Flair. And then Taker just comes yep. out, tips the hat. Um yeah, I think it would have been much more realistic if everybody was surrounding the ring because it just felt like another Undertaker promo. Yeah. Now granted
3: the best part of that entire thing was the hologram.
0: Oh man. That again caught me by surprise. And which, it hit me right in the chest yeah it, it,
3: that, that's why we have to do this entire show because we didn't even talk about it when it happened that week it, it was just it was too soon and too hard to talk about
0: yeah and of course we, we had too much to talk about that week as well that it wouldn't have been fair to just address it oh yeah and Paul Bearer came back blah 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 let's go but yeah, uh, I, nice surprise for us. And I think it had the same effect as, like we mentioned, when we heard Paul Bearer's voice at WrestleMania 20. And he was still alive then, jeez. It, it hits a lot different when he's actually gone. But they also yeah. did a very c- cool close-up of Taker's reaction as well. And he I think he kind of forgot to roll his eyes back because he was looking at the hologram. Oh. And then... They kind of overkilled it by showing the same video package three times the following week. Uh, even though I love me some Metallica.
1: Yeah, I mean, if, if there's any way to go out with, with the feud with AJ this weekend, this year, excuse me, with the Boneyard, and just that promo leading up to it, you know, talk about my wife and everything, and just being the badass. Everything that went to that story was great, and the farewell was great, too, like like you mentioned, but Vince saying WWF for like the first time in like years and how he introduced them I'm like alright
0: <laughs> you know shit's real when Vince says
1: WWF we weren't getting the fuck out man he brought the F back in
0: <laughs> <laughs> the uh, the whole retirement of course had a whole different feel to it with the addition of the Last Ride documentary beforehand as well because it kind of prepared us for it man and it, uh, was, it was so surreal seeing that human side of The Undertaker
1: yeah, but then you get Troubadour at the end, and I'm just like, oh, that Troubadour even got me, man, at the end of the last ride, man.
0: Yeah, the whole series was fantastic.
1: I was at Walmart the other day, and they have
3: it on, uh, they have a DVD package of it, of the entire last ride. And it, it, needless to say,
1: it's on my Christmas list. <laughs> I think the first ever documentary I saw at Taker was the uh, – Madaz, you remember This Is My Yard?
0: Uh, yes.
1: Okay, so I bought that a VHS at FYE. I remember watching just him riding on the motorcycle, Sarah putting Undertaker in an armbar, which I thought was quite funny, and they just really just talk about very briefly the mean Mark Callis days. Then he's talking about getting to the WWF and pretty much taking it to the 2001 era. That was, like, my first ever Undertaker documentary I saw. Then, obviously, they had the Tombstone DVD, which shows a lot of his matches, and really just everything that's encompassed in, an ult- in the Undertaker, you know, collection, if you will. But, yeah, that was my first ever human side seeing Taker riding the motorcycles, talking about his tattoos, and just the whole night, man. It was very, very cool. That was the first time we ever saw him sort of humanized before the last ride DVD, you know what I'm saying? saying? Yeah, well,
0: I mean the American badass gimmick was more human anyway. Correct. But yeah, uh, yeah, I think I owned all of them. And it was kind of funny as well, because back then they were releasing like a DVD every couple of years of Undertaker's streak, and you're like, it's not over yet. So you've got like a DVD of 15 and 0, and he's still going. I know,
1: right? <laughs> There was one that that they had. He buries them alive, and it was one of the most random ass matches. There was one with Quang, aka Savio Vega, on it. There was a the casket match with Jerry the King Lawler. It was some of the most random ass matches on.
0: It. Yeah, um, Undertaker would probably have more DVDs than anybody. Like special DVDs, all about him.
2: Yep. <laughs> probably going <laughs> a <little> far back as <laughs> the eighties, <80s> even.
0: Yeah. <laughs> ah oh, good good times and again we're probably never going to see another gimmick that lasts as long or has as no, big of an impact we will not we will not not probably not ever there's, ever see a gimmick last that long and have the same impact
3: there is absolutely no way
2: until her daughter until his daughter comes out and they know we're fucked. <laughs>
0: hey hey it's Undertaker not Ric Flair <laughs> she's Richtler. the underbaker I'm just playing <laughs> yeah it's Undertaker <laughs> It was, it was bad about. Yeah. Isn't his son training to wrestle? I think he might be. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. That's right. I forget he does have that. He does have one. I think one son.
0: Yeah, and two yeah. daughters.
2: Yeah, yeah, that's what it is. Two daughters.
3: All right. That's... So, uh, one of his daughters comes in. Then we get Noel. Mm-hmm. And then the Hellman match. Yes, take with only <laughs> daughter against Taker. <laughs> Yeah. And then uh Noel will hit
0: That's gotta Mrs. be Noel. Soccer, Charlotte. <laughs> God. There you go, you heard it here first, like ten years early.
2: <laughs> ten years. <laughs> early.
0: We're gonna put... by the way
1: <laughs> not to go off topic, but you were making me laugh before. It's not Ric Blair's daughter. You know why it makes me laugh? Because there are some girls that were born in this generation that's that's like their influence. That's all I'm saying. That's yeah. all I'm
0: saying. You're going to be a successful and female wrestler if
3: you got a name right daddy. now. I can name one right now and I hate it, but it's my daughter. <laughs> she loves Charlotte.
2: <laughs> I mean, it's not she's that she's use the last name, name to the advantage, okay?
0: Yeah, it's not that she's a bad wrestler or anything. It's just she doesn't need to be yeah. women's champion all the freaking time.
1: It's no. how they book what you're saying, absolutely.
0: Yeah, all right. Well, there we go, I think we've covered about as much as we can uh, without going into too much detail, otherwise we'll be here for like four hours. Um, yeah, that, that's The Undertaker's career, and with that, our story comes to an end in just a moment. So before we get to the end of A Taker's Carol, um, don't forget to like and subscribe. Um, make sure you follow us on all social media at Max Wrestling UK. Subscribe on YouTube.com slash Max Wrestling. Uh, join the Max Wrestling Facebook group, and you can also find us every week on Andre Corbeil's channel as well. You can find me on Twitter at Captain512. You can find Travis at Walker underscore TA92. And go check out Moses on Twitch, because you know what? It makes Vince's dickage.
2: Damn right. Also, SMR PodNet every social media platform possible, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. And uh, Spotify and Apple Podcast, uh, all the um, all the jams. Go check them out. Retro Rewind,
0: all the podcast stuff. Yeah. Um, Mike, uh, who's been on the mic?
1: As of this recording, nobody's really been on the mic, <laughs> but it's a good time to be alive, man. Check me out at SM Show One or MCL Ninety Two Pop Underscore Culture Underscore Pod on the Twitter Machine at LFC Underscore Pod. Beauty, strength, dominance, three key elements that make women the work of art that they are. Get it on lingerfc.com, wherever you get your audio platform. Stephenmikeshow.com, soundcloud.com, slash mclarkin92. Inglewood, always up to no good. I don't know why I just said that, but it felt good right at the moment. Yeah, man. Check me out here, there, everywhere. Check me out each and every week. Max Wrestling Podcast with my boys, Dazzy Dangerously, Moses Marquez, Travis and Walker-Anderson, NetPix Pod with my main man, Dazzy Dangerously. It's all good in the hood. Whoop, whoop.
0: And, of course, a very Merry Christmas to everybody for tomorrow. And don't forget to come back on the 27th, this Sunday, for the Maxis Awards 2020.
2: That's right.
0: Um, We will see you then. And now we will end with the finale of A Taker's Carol. And this is very unrealistic because it's Vince McMahon being nice.
2: (laughs) So that's how you know it's scripted.
0: Yes. Uh, this is Vince McScrooge (laughs) Merry Christmas everybody
1: Merry Christmas everybody
0: Merry Christmas Vince looked about him for the bro of Christmas presents but found him not as the last stroke of the bell ceased to vibrate he beheld a solemn phantom draped and hooded it was the second coming of the Undertaker's dead man persona the phenom slowly gravely, silently approached. Vince bent a knee. Am I in the presence of the ghost of Christmas yet to come? The spirit answered not, but instead pointed to a nearby graveyard. As they entered, undertakers stood among the graves and pointed at one. Vince advanced, forward trembling. He read upon the stone of the neglected grave his own name, Vincent Kennedy McMahon. Finally. The undertaker spoke, without alteration to your course, respect for fellow men and fair use of your roster. You will rest in peace. Spirit, I am not the man I was. Why show me this if I am past all hope? Holding his hands in prayer, Vince saw an alteration in the phenom's hood and cloak. It shrunk and collapsed into a bedpost. His own bedpost. The bed was his own. The room was his own. I don't know what to do, said Vince, laughing and crying at the same time. I will live in the past, present, and future. The spirits of all three will live within me. I'm as light as a feather. I'm as merry as a schoolboy. I'm as giddy as a drunken Ric Flair. A Merry Christmas to everybody, and a Happy New Year to all the world. Vince became a good a man, as good a father, and as good a friend and master as the universe had ever known. May that truly be said of all of us. And so, as Shane O'Mac observed, may God bless us, everyone.